0: Another episode of MEPcast today from Geneva we have the director of the Conrad Adenauer Stiftung foundation Mr Olaf Vincick. Olaf hello from the outskirts of Athens
1: Hello from Geneva and thanks a lot for the kind invitation
0: Thank you Olaf we're here to discuss uh, since you're you're closer to the WTO where in fact I participated um, as uh, you invited me kindly in a roundtable discussion in the public forum of the WTO several months ago, where we discussed what was about to happen then, which has happened now, which is that the appellate body has ceased to function because it's being blocked by the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meanwhile, because of COVID-19, there was also no ministerial conference in, in, uh, in Kazakhstan. And also just 10 days ago, we hear that the secretary general has decided to resign a year before his term is up. And actually just a few days ago, we hear that our commissioner Phil Hogan might be interested in the in the job. So I'd like to please start since I know you're very close to the WTO, you follow these developments very closely. Can you please give me a sense of where the WTO is and what the challenges you believe are are facing it and how, you see the direction um, going now that we also have the uh, procedure for a new Secretary General.
1: Well, I think it's a very exciting time and a very difficult time for the WTO. I mean, the WTO has, as you as you correctly uh, said, uh, has seen very challenging months. Um, you had, of course, the uh, Dispute Settlement Body crisis. Uh, then. A lot of hope was actually on the ministerial conference, which was supposed to take place in June. A ministerial conference, which takes place every two or three years, usually creates a lot of momentum to move things forward, to push things forward. And would have been a very good occasion, a very good opportunity for the WTO actually to show that it's still a very relevant organization. But of course, the ministerial conference has been postponed to 2021 either summer or even end of the year, and uh, of course the momentum, to a certain extent, um, is lost. And now, uh, with the uh, announcement of uh, Azevedo, the Director General, stepping down end of August, we have a personnel discussion. And this all, and I would say, not a very easy environment. You have the, the heating geopolitical battle between the US and China, you have had actually tendencies of stronger protectionism um, even before the COVID crisis, and now, of course, you have also the the, 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 the corona crisis, which uh, in which the WTO has actually a big role to play, although it's not as much in the news as, of course, the role of other organizations such as the WHO.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Olaf, what what has let's let's start with the COVID nineteen crisis. I mean, has the WTO You know we saw a lot of uh, a lot of protectionism as you said a lot of coming obviously countries have closed their borders we saw hoarding of medical supplies even within the within the common market within the um the european union um obviously there's this blame game being played between the u.s and china a lot of other countries are are aboard australia for example which as you know has launched this This uh, has put this request to the WHO, and as a result, is being hit with tariffs from China on barley. And a lot of activity because of the COVID nineteen. Because of course, you know, countries are trying to protect their citizens. Supply chains have been grossly disrupted. Um, What what has the WTO actually? I mean, what's its role? Actually, somebody asked me at a panel recently. You know, what is the WTO doing about COVID nineteen? And I wasn't I wasn't quite sure what to reply. So. You're closer to them, what, what are the COVID-19 actions that the WTO is taking?
1: Well, I think that the WTO does play an important role in this crisis, although, uh, as you correctly say, it has not been very public, and has not been really in the, uh, uh, in the focus even of the media. When you ask, of course, what the WTO has done, then uh, we need to be aware that WTO is both, of course, its secretariat here in Geneva, but it's also its member states. So we have to actually look at two things here. First, um, f- first, uh, what the WTO secretariat has done, and second, in what way the WTO has served as a platform for member states to launch certain initiatives. Regarding the WTO secretariat, um, it has played or does play a very important role in keeping track of trade facilitating and trade restricting measures in the crisis. Mm-hmm. Now, according to, to the rules, um, I mean, the rules allow member states to, to adopt certain trade measures mm-hmm. or trade restrictions uh, in the context of a public health crisis. Um, but, of course, these measures should be applied in a manner that does not discriminate between WTO members and should not constitute, constitute a disguised restriction on international trade. And, and this is very important, the rules actually require WTO members to notify others of any new or changed requirements which affect trade, and to respond to requests for information. So many of these measures, and this is very important, many of these export restrictions were not properly announced to the WTO. I think more than half were not. So the yeah. WTO had had to make a, a full effort to actually discover all these export restrictions. They have their sources. So behind the scenes and publicly, publicly also, the WTO urged its member states to be transparent about those measures. WTO also created a website on which all these measures are displaced, displayed. Okay. So it has been a uh, has had an important role to provide transparency because this is of course important not only for government but also of course also for businesses to know actually What's what going restrictions are in place. Um, it has also been advising governments to a certain extent during the crisis. Secondly if we look at the WTO as a platform um, the WTO has served as a forum for members to exchange views on each other's trade policies and practices, but more concretely, it has served also as a platform for groups of member states um, to fight against protectionist tendencies in the context of the crisis. Um, there were particularly important initiatives to pledge not to disrupt supply chains of food or medical supplies, for example. Mm-hmm. Such disruptions would be disastrous or are disastrous, both regarding uh the fight against the pandemics but also regarding the humanitarian consequences if it it might have regarding particularly food supply chains there was an initiative of canada for example which the eu has taken part of in order to protect food supply chains Mm -hmm. and there was an initiative of switzerland to cut export restrictions as quickly as possible after the crisis which has been joined by I think 41 uh, further member states of the wto so in many ways also wto is a platform well, like-minded can actually uh, member states can unite in order to fight this kind of wave of protectionist measures we see at the moment.
0: Okay, so the the WTO is is helping with transparency and with providing uh, a forum for uh, like-minded, as you say, countries to discuss how we will uh, keep supply chains functioning, especially for basic goods at, like food and medical supplies, and also how we will get back to normal or transition to the new normal, as they're saying after COVID-19. So do you think that the COVID-19 crisis is is probably um, making it more likely that the WTO will survive and transform and um, into something more, uh, let's say, relevant? You know, the, the European Union has pledged to support the WTO reform process as a safeguard, multilateral, rules-based trade, even in the face of this U.S.-China trade war escalation, do you think that COVID-19 is making these efforts more difficult, or do you think it's giving them a push in the right direction, in the direction of reform?
1: Well, it's difficult to say yet. I would say because, of course, you still have as a countercurrent, uh, if you like. A strong tendency for protectionism, of course, for, let's say, I would say a lack of long-term vision on, on, on trade and economic policies, but uh, rather focusing on uh, current crisis management. However, I think, at least I see it in many member states, that there is a growing awareness that for economic recovery, the WTO will play a very important role. I mean, the WTO has said, that, uh, has said that this year, world trade will probably um, uh, plunge by 13 or up to 32%. Right. However, if the right policies are taken both in combating the pandemic, but also in allowing trade to flourish, um, these losses can be made up to a very large extent uh, next year. I think so, the projection
0: I, is about 24% could exactly, be the
1: recovery exactly. in 21. correct? Exactly. That's exactly the, the, the projections, that I think, the last projection. And in this case, you have seen a, I think it was an initiative by New Zealand and Singapore in the WTO context to pledge very strongly in favor of open markets. And a lot of other member states are, I think, uh, being aware of this potential WTO has. Um, of course, and this is this is very important in all this context, is if you want to have a real push for WTO reform, for becoming the WTO, not being sidelined in all this, you need basically a consensus or you need a constructive role of the three big countries, of course. Of course. Or um, well, three big blocks, let's rather right. say. And um, so the US, the EU and China, given, of course, the the... the Battle heating up between the uh, US and China, and given, of course, the US elections later this year, um, this is, of course, not easy uh, uh, to imagine right now. But I think um, it is important to have, uh, let's say, a common will of those three actors, even if they might have very different visions on how to move forward, at least to save this kind of platform. So it's not yet, in my opinion, it's not yet guaranteed that WTO will come out stronger after this crisis.
0: Um, the, the the European Union seems to be one sitting on the fence between this in this trade war between the U.S. and China. And secondly, to balance these protectionist tendencies, keep the internal market functioning, and also keep supply chains um, open and diversified. The new the new language, the new the new let's say term that the Commission is now using is. Open strategic autonomy. Now, this has been criticized for having a little bit of a a little bit of something for everything. Open for those of us who are very much in favor of, you know, keeping trade liberal trade liberalization autonomy for those who are more protectionist. Strategic for those who want an industrial policy. In any case, that is that is the the balancing term being used right now by by the commission. So, you can give us your thoughts on that if you want. And in closing, also some comments on. Do you think i mean i mentioned before that we're reading now that phil hogan has said yes He he's interested in becoming secretary general so we're hearing lots of other names um we're hearing and, and my 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 questions are do you think that um the region where the where the uh, wto general secretary is is coming from will play a a big role do you think it's a question of gender balance how do you think all this will fare and what do you think the most important let's say factor in the new leadership is in order to take the WTO to the next uh, to the next level of as I said both surviving and reforming in order to continue to serve its original function as it was founded 25 years ago?
1: These are all grand questions. Yeah. Uh, now, now I regarding maybe the first one very briefly um, well i think it's very important to strike a good balance um both and i think uh, i mean i've been working a long time in brussels i'm 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 used to these kind of catch-all titles uh, which which sound very nice but if you look at them it's there's something for everyone right this is a bit the nature of the european okay that's a bit the
0: nature of politics you know
1: (laughs) but um uh, but let's say um i think it's very important for the the eu not to um, not to uh, to go in too much into a protectionist dynamic. That's that's very important. It's absolute key. And um, also to be to remain a credible partner for let's say the friends of uh, let's say of free trade and uh, the uh, the friends of the WTO, if you if you might say. And one should never underestimate. I find, and I'm not saying this because I live in Switzerland now, but in general, the, 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 the influence and the importance of also middle-sized players, such mm-hmm. as uh, New Zealand, such as Singapore, such as Switzerland, such as Canada. Japan. Well, middle-sized compared to, um, to the US, the EU, and China. Um, and uh, I think the EU, it is very important for the EU to reach out to these actors as well, because also this creates um, a critical weight. At the same time, it's important not to be naive the EU has a certain tendency to, I would say, to agree with some of the criticism of which the US has towards WTO, but in order not to wreck the institution, not to be too loud about it, and not to admit it too openly. But I think the EU needs to, even more than it has been doing in the past uh, months and years, to push even more for WTO reform and to try to do it together. It, It may be different with the current administration, but with the US, because Still, if the U.S. and the EU are united, um, they can play a very important role to set standards. One example is, for example, the the plurilateral e-commerce initiative. What I hear a lot here in Geneva is if the EU and the U.S. are on the same page regarding certain standards for e-commerce, then this will create a big dynamic where others will will have to follow to a certain extent. So I think this is something to bear in mind. Now, regarding the, uh, the future of the, um, uh, uh, regarding the DG, so this is, of course, a, a speculation and uh, to a certain extent, but I think it's, um, as I said earlier, for the WTO, it's a difficult and decisive time, and meaning it, it is very important to have the right person as a DG. Now, what can we expect from the race? Um, a, it's very, we have little time. Uh, Azevedo is stepping down in August. From now, mm-hmm. from 8th of June to 8th of July, uh, you will have the candidature, so the official deposit of well, to, to throw your hat into the ring. Then you have the time for, to review the applications by the member states, including the Q&A in the general council. And then you have to decide for the appointment. And this is a very tight schedule. Usually, it takes at least six months to have a new director general all, all this procedure I just, I just mentioned. Right. Now we have just three. Then, second point, the competition is very high. I have at least read about 10 different names for men and or women, either putting yes. their hat into the ring or actually being mentioned as possible candidates. And you know, as you rightly imply, for international organizations, geopolitical and regional considerations are very important. So highly industrialized countries, um, meaning Europe, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, argue next one, also the next DG. Has to come from there, uh, from their, let's say, camp. Because now we have somebody from Brazil, so from a developing or a transition country. May. But then you have Africa. Argue African countries argue: we have never had a DG. We have a number of viable African candidates. Now it's our turn. So first you have to see how you decide whether from which camp will you choose someone. Um, then some uh, people argue that uh, a, 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 woman, a woman would be important. I would say there's some merit to that, but I don't think it will be the ultimate decisive criterion. So I think the geopolitical criterion will be one. And the second will be very important, the profile. Azevedo was a diplomat. Now one will need both. You need somebody who is a politician, who has a, who has a strong will to push reform forward against, against a lot of resistance. And you need at the same time a good diplomat, you need somebody who enjoys respect and trust in Washington, but at okay. the same time doesn't completely displease China. Somebody who has vision of WTO reform. So it's a very demanding profile and it will be, it, these are very exciting weeks and months ahead uh, regarding the procedure for to choose a new candidate.
0: Well, we'll all follow this very closely because uh, certainly the people, uh, certainly leaders play a role, especially when they're willing to lead. So there we go. Okay. Well, Olaf, thank you so very much. It, it's, uh, it, it's been very interesting getting your your insights. In fact, yes, this is a, an exciting and challenging time for the WTO. Um, for us, clearly in Parliament, in the International Trade Committee, we're all committed to supporting the reform process for the WTO and making sure that it's up-to-date. We also um, have, have a, a working group that believes very strongly in what you just said, which is that e-commerce is a very good um, good place for, uh, for, for us to find common ground um, and, and help show that the WTO is, again, useful and relevant. Um, let's wait and see, and uh, I know we'll be in touch. I hope you, that you stay safe and healthy in, in beautiful Geneva, and um, we'll try and do the same in Brussels and in Athens, and hopefully after the summer we can get back to seeing each other in person, either in one place I or I hope so, too. Thank you very much for participating in MEPCAST.
1: Thanks a lot again for the invitation, and good luck with your work.
0: Thank you.